reading beginning with the 89th verse going through 97. Your word, O Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Your faithfulness continues through all generations. You establish the earth and it endures. Your laws endure to this day, for all things serve you. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have preserved my life. Save me, for I am yours. I have sought out your precepts. The wicked are waiting to destroy me, but I will ponder your statutes. To all perfection I see a limit, but your commands are boundless. Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. The first morning of school this year was fun at our house. My daughters are both in high school. The oldest is a senior and the youngest is a freshman. The freshman left for school early and as she walked out the door, she turned to the senior and she said, see you there, I'm coming to take over your school. (laughs) But after school, the scene at our house was dramatically different. Shoulders heavy, the freshman said, I don't know, Mom, my classes are hard. It's different. There's so much work. I'll never get it all done. In some sense, hers is the modern approach to Bible study. You're in the big leagues. You better take this seriously. If you come up to the pastor's offices, you will find books. On the Bible, you will find many translations of the Bible. You will find commentaries on the Bible that break down every passage of Scripture, analyzing the proper translation and the punctuation as you translate the Hebrew and the Greek into English. We have timelines and we have maps of biblical times. We talk about the author's intention and we talk about the context of the passage. And if you can't remember the exact location of the passage you're thinking of in the Bible, well, the Bible is broken down into chapters and verses. Yours are too. When Keith and I first got married, we were given this family Bible as a wedding gift. It is a beautiful Bible. It's embossed with our names. It's gold. It's heavy. In the Gospels, there are red letters so I can know the exact words that Jesus said. But I have wondered if a more appropriate family Bible for our house might look like this book. It's well-worn, and it is a book that's called You Read to Me, I'll Read to You. Fairy Tales. It requires two readers to get through any story. You know, I've been considering the idea that as human beings, we are wired for stories. That there's something in us that innately remembers and integrates a good story. My father is the kind of grandfather who likes to tell stories to his grandchildren. And my son, my eight-year-old son, really likes this game, and I often hear them telling stories together. Stories like the three little pigs. Maybe you know this story. I bet you do. 
I'm going to get you to help me tell this story. Once upon a time, there were three little pigs, and each of the little pigs wanted to build a house. Very good. You know it. The first little pig built his house out of straw, and after he built his house out of straw, the wolf came to the front door, and he knocked on the front door, and he said... But the little pig said, not by the hair on my chinny-chin-chin. And so the wolf said, then I'll huff and I'll puff and I'll blow your house down. And he did. The second little pig built his house out of sticks. Very good. But the big bad wolf came to that house and he knocked on the door and he said, little pig, little pig, let me in. But the pig said... Then I'll huff and I'll puff and I'll blow your house down. And he did. But the third little pig built his house out of bricks. And when the wolf came to the front door and he knocked on the front door and he said, Little pig, little pig, let me in. The pigs said, Not by the hair on my chinny chin chin. Then I'll huff and I'll puff and I'll blow your house down. But he couldn't do it. He couldn't blow the house down. One time my father concluded this story with, so the wolf climbed up on the roof to slide down the chimney to get to the three little pigs, but the three little pigs had a different plan and they enjoyed a big pot of wolf brand chili. (laughs) I don't think that's in the original story, but you know the story. I thought that you did. You know lots of stories. Whether or not you yourself are a storyteller, you know how they go. You know fairy tales. You know movies. You know television shows. You know jokes. You know family stories. You know Bible stories. The Bible is full of word pictures and stories. One time Jesus said, A man built his house on the sand, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and the house was destroyed. And great was its fall. But a wise man built his house upon the rock. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew, but the house did not fall because it had its foundation upon the rock. You see, the big bad wolf, he comes to every house. So prepare and build your house upon the rock. I believe that not only do we remember stories, but we like our stories to have a meaning. My friend in Houston, who is a faith-walking friend, says that human beings are meaning-making machines. So we tell a story about our experience, and while it doesn't have a meaning in and of itself, we add that layer on top of it. We put the meaning to the story. Let me give you a few examples. This week, my husband Keith and I went to -to back-to-school night at the high school Many of the moms there were dressed up. A lot of them were wearing heels. I was underdressed. My husband and I went to back to school night this week. When we walked into the auditorium, the principal was already up on stage speaking, and there were many parents who were standing up in the back. Keith marched down the side aisle to the front row and sat down. I followed him. We were bothering the principal, Dr. Jones, by coming in late and sitting in the front row. Now, here's how I imagine that Keith would tell these stories. 
My wife and I went to back to school night this week, and she wore jeans and sandals. It was terrific that she didn't slow me down when I had to go from one side of the campus to the other. My wife and I went to back to school night this week, and when we walked into the auditorium, there were very few seats available. I spotted a few up front, so that's where we sat. Boy, is Dr. Jones lucky to have us in the district. (laughs) We have an experience. We tell a story, and then we put the meaning, that layer of meaning, on top of the story. Scripture is wonderful because it's full of stories that we can remember and repeat. I loved the sermon series in New Heights this summer that was all about great stories from the Bible. So every week they told a different story from the scripture. The story of Daniel's and the lion, Daniel in the lion's den, or Jacob wrestling, or David and Goliath, or Jesus walking on water. It should be of no surprise to us that Jesus knew the stories of the Hebrew Bible and that he also told stories when he taught or taught in word pictures. And sometimes Jesus added that layer of meaning to the story that he told for his disciples. Other times, as Ryan told the children, he did not add that layer of meaning. Maybe that was because in many of Jesus' stories, there are many different levels of meaning. Or maybe it's because, as Ryan said, Jesus wanted our lives to continue that story. Well, let's look at Psalm 119. Aren't you glad we didn't read the whole thing? It's 176 verses. It is the longest psalm in the Bible. It is an alphabetical acrostic poem, and it is written in paragraph form. So there is one section or paragraph for each of the 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. There are eight words that are used repeatedly in this psalm. These words are first the word Torah, which is translated teaching, and then the seven synonyms of Torah, of teaching. So words like decrees, statutes, commands, ordinances, laws, promises, precepts. The subject of Psalm 119 is God's teaching and how vast God's teaching is. That God's teaching can encompass everything from A to Z. There are other words that are repeated in this psalm. And if a word is repeated, I want to pay attention to it. One of those words is a word that is translated meditate, and it was in our passage in verse 97 this morning. Ray Vanderland teaches on the word meditate used in the Hebrew Bible, and he says that this Hebrew word for meditate is the same word that's used to describe what a hooved animal does with its food, to chew the cud. So a hooved animal keeps its food around keeps working on it before completely swallowing it. And I do like that image of chewing the scripture until it's ready to be incorporated. But then there are words in Psalm 119 that are repeated that describe the effect that God's teaching is to have on our lives. Words like comfort. Well, comfort makes a lot of sense on the effect that scripture should have in my life. I find myself often teaching that very thing in a funeral setting. 
Another word that is repeated about the effect of God's teaching on us is the word of insight or understanding. Well, phew, that's like job security for me. And it doesn't come as a surprise either. But the surprise on the list of the effect of God's teaching is that God's teaching is to bring delight. God's word brings joy to my life. Eugene Peterson, in his version, The Message, has this sentence about God's teaching. I'm ecstatic over what you say. This is what I've wondered about this week, that the effect of scripture would be delight, that the effect of scripture would be joy. I think what the psalmist wants me to know is that the effect of any and all of God's stories is to bring comfort and insight and delight to my life. This is hard for me because often when I pick up this book, I hear a voice that says, Dinah, this is serious business. And it's difficult for me because sometimes I have questions about scripture or I'm unsettled about what I read. I've decided in light of Psalm 119, when approaching God's story, I'm going to put the voice of the drill sergeant to rest, the voice that says, this is serious business. And I'm going to instead employ the voice of my teenagers that often say, seriously? Because when I'm unsettled with a passage, I think the truth of the matter is that I have not chewed the cud long enough. I must have more questions for the text. And some passages I may be chewing on for several years, maybe for the rest of my life, and that's okay. The truth of the matter is that God's story is to make burdens easy and our countenances lighter. If God's story does not have that effect on you, It's time to hold out for a better, deeper meaning. I was reminded this week how helpful it is to see the context of a story when I'm applying meaning to any experience or story. On Friday, I recalled what I believed to be true when the first plane crashed into the World Trade Center. I immediately thought, what a terrible accident. Minutes later, when the second plane crashed, I thought, well, this is more than an accident. And then as reports came in of cell phone calls being made from Flight 93 of a hijacking, I knew that this was an attack by an organized terrorist group. When we are given a chance to see the bigger, larger picture, then the smaller story makes more sense. In his book, The Divine Embrace, Robert Weber, who's a theologian, tells about a dinner conversation that he had with friends that changed the course of his book. He was having dinner with two other couples when they asked what he was writing about. Spirituality, he answered. I'm spiritual, one woman said. I'm not. I just don't think you can know, a man said. All paths lead to God, the other woman chimed in. And then finally, what I just can't stand is someone who thinks they have the truth and everyone else is wrong. Yeah, 
the four of them said in agreement. So what do you believe, Robert? Well, Weber admitted to being a committed Christian and believing that spirituality is uniquely connected to Jesus. That instead of trying to persuade them with historical facts or scientific evidence or a brilliant rational argument, he said, Can I tell you a story? God created the world as a place of dwelling. And he created human beings to be in union with him and to enjoy creation, to live, to work, to play, and to make creation a theater of God's glory. But God's creatures rebelled against him and they went their own way. They developed an anti-God culture. So God became one of us, restoring union with humanity and providing a model, modeling purpose. For life, we are to live in union with God. Christian spirituality is about God's passionate embrace of us and our passionate embrace of God. And there are three frameworks that where this story can be applied. The first is the framework of creation. So God created and God continues to recreate and God makes all things new. The second is about the new Adam, the second Adam, as Paul wrote, who reverses the sins or the fall of the first Adam. And then the third framework is the framework of freedom, that God led his people to freedom from slavery in Egypt. And in Jesus Christ, he leads his people to freedom from sin and death. Any story that we have from the Bible, from, from the Christian history, or from our experience can be applied to one of those frameworks in light of the greater story of God's embrace. Years ago, I heard Fred Craddock preach a sermon and he said, It matters that you are present in worship. It matters that you sit in pews and are a part of the telling of God's story every week, as scripture is read, as hymns are sung, as the sacraments are celebrated, it matters that you're there. You are being formed by the story that you hear and by the story that you help to tell. You know, I've never heard a person say, it was that one great sermon that made me who I am today. But instead, I believe that it's true, that it is a series of sermons. It is many stories that we hear that form us in the image of Christ. If these pews could speak, I imagine what they would say. And I think what they might say is once upon a time. 